0: All right, awesome. We're continuing our series here today called Jesus Is, and I want to do something a little bit fun with you guys in the beginning here. I want to see if I show uh, the baby pictures of our full-time staff, if you can guess who is who. So first, I'm going to show you what we all look like now. Here I am, okay? And then we have uh, some of our other people here. we got Pastor Bravone, so this is Pastor Bravone, in case you haven't met him yet. This is my wife, Kelly, now, in case you haven't seen her around. And then we have our youth pastor, Joey, and also our worship pastor, Andrew, who you just had here leading you guys in worship. Okay, so I need you guys to kind of just yell out and then we're going to take some votes on who we think it's who. So first baby picture up. Who, who, who do we think this is? Wow. Okay, you guys nailed that one. All right, who we got next? All right, Oh, your families here. Come on. <laughs> Row three is off limits. Come on. All right. <laughs> okay, next. Stop it. That row's off limits. <laughs> Anybody know what do we got? Yes, Pastor Ravone, that's right. Yes, good job, awesome. All right, now this is kind of a giveaway, but next one. All right, clearly Kelly, right? Yes, yes. All right, last one. Yeah, there it is, there it is. And the guy whose lap I'm sitting on is the reason I am bald, okay? That's my grandfather, and he was 23 in that picture. No, I'm kidding, (laughs) but sadly enough, there I am. Well, I have to say, you guys did a pretty good job recognizing who we all are. And we're doing this series because often it's hard to recognize who Jesus is. Sometimes we have a difficult time just seeing exactly what Jesus looks like and what he's like, and I think that there's different reasons we struggle with this. Sometimes it's because of the things we've heard about Jesus, and we're, we're looking at Jesus going, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if what I had heard about Jesus can be trusted. Some of us grew up going to church. Some of us grew up maybe going to Christian school or having Christian upbringing, and then you get a little older, and it's like, wait, is this really Jesus? Or some of us have none of that backstory, and we've always kind of had certain assumptions of who Jesus is. Some of us, it's because of some really difficult experiences that we've gone through, and those difficult experiences have changed the way that we see God. Some of Maybe it's even interactions with Christians, you know? Sadly enough, sometimes our interactions with Christians aren't all that great. And so we began to see Jesus differently because of that. And just a little side note, we thought it would be really cool to bless all the soccer people out there, so we dropped off a bunch of donuts and and coffee and stuff for them this morning, so we're just praying that that will be a blessing to them. And we think, hey, man, maybe that's a good interaction. Maybe that helps shape the way that they see who Jesus is. But here in this series, we're just trying to see Jesus for who he actually is. We're trying to put aside all those kind of things, those misunderstandings and those things that we might not quite see Jesus clearly and really hone in and say, okay, this is who Jesus is is and so today we're going to talk about another aspect of this and it should be I hope and pray greatly encouraging to you because it's going to address something that I think is real to all of us and it has to do with our weakness has to do with those situations in our life where we find ourselves powerless have you ever had a moment where you just realize how weak and powerless you are you know, sometimes it's a humbling moment, sometimes it's something that you're trying to do and you can't do it, and so you realize, wow, I'm really kind of limited in what I can accomplish, and sometimes it's what somebody says. I had a humbling moment a few weeks ago, I was talking with my family and I said, you know, I wish I was just in better shape, you know, And they're, oh, you look fine, you know, no, I wish I was a little in better shape, I'm a little bit flabby here and there, you know, I just wish I was like a little more toned, and so my 11-year-old daughter says to me, so, a little more Mark Wahlberg, a little less Will Ferrell. I said, yeah, I wouldn't have quite put it like that, but in that moment, I was confronted with my weakness because my daughter thinks I look like Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell, you know, as a dad, you always think you look like Mark Wahlberg, at least to your daughter, you know, but here I am apparently looking like Will Ferrell. You ever had a moment like that where your weakness comes front and center? Uh, I think sometimes it hits us in life, you know, sometimes we just begin to see that there's a power, uh, a situation in our life that we're powerless to fix, you know. Maybe some of you guys have great need. Some of you guys looking at some financial things you're going through, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, God, I just, I have no way of making these ends meet right now. Some of us are killing ourselves trying to figure that out and trying to fix that, you know? And there's nothing wrong with hard work, and God uses hard work, but sometimes we just look at our situation, and it's like, this feels impossible. We got a, long pe- a lot of young people in this church, you know? And it's like, wow, I have these college loans. I- I'm going to be paying off until I'm six gazillion, you know? Because, like, how do I pay this down? It just feels so overwhelming. Some of us have great financial needs. Some of us have great physical need. you know? I mean, my wife's been going through a lot over the last 14 months. She's been sick and has a lot of different things happening. And one of the most frustrating things to me is I can't just fix it, you know? Like I can't just figure out what needs to be done and solve it. And that shows our weakness. That shows how powerless we are in some situations. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe some of you would say, you know where I feel powerless is to change the course of my life. Have you ever felt that? Like you've been on one course in your life for so long and you've tried several times to kind of get yourself off that path and maybe onto a healthier path or a different path or a better path and you just can't seem to do that. And sometimes we're just stuck in that course of life and we know we need a change but we can't figure out how. Some of us are powerless to figure out almost our purpose, you know? Like, what am I doing here? This is a big question for young people, you know? What's my life going to be about? What is, what is, maybe, you know, if you believe in God, what is God's will for me? Or if you don't believe in God, you know, what's my destiny, or all these kinds of things. But it's also an important question for us who are older in the room, isn't it? Because sometimes we've been living it for a while, and it's like, wait, what am I really doing? What am I really accomplishing? What am I actually doing here? Is there purpose, Why am I here? And some of us, especially younger people, as we're trying to figure out those big answers to those big questions, who do I marry, where do I go, what school, what job, what profession, I think we have this fear that if we make the wrong decision, we're going to absolutely ruin our life. And so we live under the weight of that powerlessness. I can't see the future. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what choices to make. And sometimes those things cripple us. I know one of the lowest points in my life was when I felt like I couldn't discover purpose. I couldn't figure out what the point of it all was. Man, that's a tough place to be. Some of us here today would say, I feel powerless to break off the oppression in my life. Anybody, just sometimes you feel oppressed by something? Maybe it's a depression. Maybe it's an anxiety. Maybe it's a controlling habit, and it literally just feels like there's this force at play in your life. Powerless to break it off. What about being powerless to save ourselves? What about the truth that We're all, you ready for this? We're all going to stand before God one day. What are we going to say there? What are we going to say there? Think about that. Before God, he knows us. He knows all the things that we have done. What are we going to say to get ourselves out of trouble when we're standing before God. Remember when I was a kid, I was 17 years old, I had just gotten my license, and back in the day, I think you were allowed to drive to like school and work or something like that when you had your license at 17. And so I remember it had snowed, and it was like the day after the snow. So the roads weren't terrible, but they weren't great either. And I'm driving in Mom's awesome station wagon down the street, and I see the cop lights go on behind me. Oh boy, here I am, I just got my license pretty recently. So I'm pulled over, and the cop asked that great question. Why, why did I pull you over? You know, what, what's going on here? Why, why do you think I pulled you over? Which is a beautiful question, by the way. I wonder if anybody's just been like, have anything to do with the bodies in my trunk? You know, I don't know how like, you know, candid people are. A you know? cop will be like, well, I pulled you over for your taillight, so I'm glad you brought that up, right? But, but he asked that brilliant question, and I said, speeding? So I was going 42 in a 30, right? And he goes, yeah. And he looked me right in the eyes, and he got really stern with me. He goes, you're going 42 in a 30. It's snowing out. There's snow on the ground what kind of an idiot does that make you? <laughs> I said, pretty big one, you know? What am I going to say? He was right. What are we going to say when we stand before God? And he goes, remember middle school? Remember, remember college? Remember spring break? Remember that? Oh, what am I going to say there? Powerless to save ourselves. I've seen today how weak we are. You're seeing today how powerless we are in so many different situations, health, finances, relationships, the struggles we have when it comes to our anxieties and our fears and the purpose and, and getting ourselves from one course of life onto another and right down to saving ourselves. And if you're not a father of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here today. And I hope today as we talk about this, you will see how Jesus might just be the answer to all these different weaknesses. You see, that's the beautiful thing, as we're going to talk about here today. Is whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're going to see that as we bring our weakness and our powerlessness to Jesus, he is the answer for all of those things. He is the power in all of our weakness. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've wondered what can God really do for me? You know, you hear these Christians talk about Jesus, and oh man, he changed my life, and he's come in and you see us singing to God, and we're raising our hands to God. What is that all about? It's just like a little kid I like to explain. A little kid raising their hands up to their parents, you know, security, love, closeness. I want to feel that toward God. But, but you're here going, okay, these people seem pretty convinced God's doing something in their life. What is that? We're going to look at that here today. And So whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I hope you're encouraged. And I hope as you look your own weakness and powerlessness in the face this morning, we will find hope in what Jesus offers you and me so we're going to look at some powerful stories found in Matthew chapter 9 and you might say well who's this guy Matthew who's writing all this we're going to discover that today but way more importantly we're going to discover more about who Jesus is so Matthew 9 look at what it says in verse 1 it says Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his home his own town some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat when Jesus saw their faith he said to the man take heart son your sins are forgiven so Jesus starts out real big here He looks at somebody and says their sins have been forgiven. That's huge. Now think about this for a second. Isn't it interesting that Jesus looks at a paralyzed man lying on a mat and the first thing he says isn't get up and be healed and walk. The first thing he says is your sins are forgiven. Why? Because our greatest need is that our sins be forgiven. The greatest miracle Jesus ever does is not heal a paralyzed man. It's he rescues sinners from our grave. Right? And so I want you to think about this for a second because I hope this encourages you this morning. Jesus always focuses on our greatest need. Now, here's where this gets tricky. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's focusing on our greatest need. I can almost guarantee you this man did not wake up that morning saying, You know what I need today? I need forgiveness of sins. You know what he probably woke up saying? I would love to walk. I would love to be healed. And sometimes you and I bring our needs to God and it's like, here is what I need, God. This is my greatest need. And and Jesus looks past that and says, no, there's a deeper need. And I'm going to address that. And I'm going to always focus on that. So be encouraged here today. Jesus is focused on your greatest need. And this man's greatest need was forgiveness of sins. And it's the same for you and me. Our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. If we've been forgiven, we have everything in Jesus. If you haven't been forgiven by Jesus yet, if you haven't started a relationship with him yet, he longs for that, and it's the greatest thing he could give you. You might say, but Doug, I need healing or security. I need a new course in my life. Great. But the first and most important thing you need is forgiveness of sin. But you might sit here and say, okay, if Jesus just told this guy his sins are forgiven, how do we know that they really are? How do we know Jesus can even forgive? Forgive sins. You're not the only one asking that question. Let's get back to the story. Verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Listen to this. I love this. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Now, you have to love that. Because think about this. Who did the, the teachers of the law say this to? Themselves. Jesus just answered their thoughts. Powerful. I don't know about you, I've never answered anybody else's thoughts. I answer my own thoughts sometimes, you know. I'll think to myself, it's cold out. And I'll say, I should get a jacket on. Because he goes, who are you talking to? Right? I freak her out all the time with this, right? So I answer my own thoughts sometimes. But I never answer anybody else's thoughts because I don't know their thoughts. But Jesus knows their thoughts because he's Jesus. And so he speaks out and answers their thoughts. Then he says this in verse 5. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now that's a great question. Because think about it this way, if Jesus is someone pretending to be powerful, but he's not really powerful, then it's easier for him to say, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because there's no physical, instant, observable change when someone forgives sin, right? And if Jesus is not really powerful, then he knows if he says, get up and walk, and the guy doesn't get up and walk, he's in trouble, right? And so on the one hand, it could be easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's not this instant, instantaneous, you know, observable proof that someone's sins are forgiven. But on the other hand, the teachers of the law would have believed with 100% accuracy that it's harder to say your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. And they did not believe Jesus was God. In fact, they believed he was blaspheming and God didn't listen to blasphemers, right? And so interesting question here, but then again, Jesus did just read their thoughts, then he goes on, verse 6. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up. Take up your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. And so Jesus here shows, hey, I can do both. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't think Jesus could heal the man or forgive sins. saying, yeah, hey, I proved I can do one. I can do the other as well. And so let me ask you, what's your need today? Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus today? Because he longs to offer that to you. You are powerless. You and I, we all are perfectly weak when we stand before God to defend ourselves and get ourselves out of that trouble. And so Jesus stood there for us to rescue us from our sin. But many of you already have that relationship, right? And what needs like this paralyzed man do we need to bring to our Savior today? This powerful Savior, what what financial burdens, what student loans, what health needs, what relationship struggles do we need to bring to Jesus to save my marriage? I am weak. I am powerless to rescue this thing, and it's in trouble. Heal somebody I love, God. Please provide for me. Come through. I'm so weak. Jesus is powerful. story continues, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. You know what's so cool about this? Matthew is the guy, Matthew, whose book we're reading now. You ever wonder who Matthew is? He's one of the followers of Jesus. But this is the guy who's writing this book. And so now we get to see a little bit about his come to Jesus moment here. And this may seem like a simple verse, okay? Jesus says, hey, Matthew, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. It might seem like a really simple verse, but I want you to think about how powerful it is, right? Because in just a moment, Jesus has done some really powerful, powerful things. First off, in just a moment, Jesus set Matthew, his life on a completely new course. Some of us here today, we are stuck on our course, saying, man, I wish I I could make a change, I wish I could find something new, I wish I could get out of this place I've been for so long, struggling in a sin battle, struggling in my purposelessness. Man, I wish I could find a new purpose, a new course. And here Jesus, in just a second, sets Matthew on a new course. See, Matthew was a tax collector, which means he was sitting at his tax collector's booth. And this story takes place in a place called Capernaum. And Matthew would have been sitting at his booth collecting taxes on the imported goods people were bringing from other places. And this was a lucrative post. Matthew's route here was probably between Egypt and the east. So there were tons of people traveling. And so you know what this tells us? About Matthew, the course of his life, the direction of his life was all about making money. That's what he was all about. He had, he had literally wake up in the morning with one thought in his mind I gotta make money. I gotta do this. I gotta make sure I'm, I'm making more and more money. And, and the interesting thing about all this is, man, these guys were known to be crooks, these guys were known to rip people off terribly. And in fact, in the first century, these guys would charge way more than they they had to pay back to Rome, and then they would just kind of line their own pockets with this money. And just in a second, Jesus says, hey, Matthew, let me give you something new to live for. You see, the course of your life to this point, Matthew, has been all about money. What if I make your life about giving to others instead of taking from others? What if I make your life about more than just this momentary lucrative business you're in here? And what if it's about rescuing people from the flames of hell and giving them new eternity? What if you follow me? Imagine that. Matthew gets up and follows him. Jesus is so powerful. Guys, it takes a moment for him to set our life on a new course. Some of you are wrestling with that today. And you need to acknowledge what Jesus offers this morning. You need to acknowledge that just like Matthew, you need to get up and walk a new way. Take a new course in your life. Respond to him. What if Matthew, like so many of us, saw Jesus walk by and say, follow me, and we just said, nah. I love money more. I love my sin more. I love my stuff more. I love my comfort more. Oh, take that new step. Jesus would transform Matthew's life. Think about it Think about this, Jesus would give Matthew purpose in just a heartbeat. Suddenly something to live for. Suddenly something to die for. Something that mattered. This is some of us today. Man, we're living right now for just what feels good. We're living right now just kind of existing, just trying to get by. God has so much more for you and me. He longs for us to have purpose, to wake up every day and go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, and this is why God put me on this earth, and this is what my life will count for. Guys, let me speak to some of the older people. I think young people eat that stuff up, and it's like, yes. I think some of us older people were like, I'm kind of already in my ways. I'm kind of already you know, doing what I'm doing. I had a conversation with somebody a few years ago who said, man, I would love to be a pastor, but at this point in my life, I'm already kind of, you know, stuck where I am. I already got a mortgage on the kind of house I have, and if I became a pastor, I probably, there's no way I could afford that house, and I, I'm kind of already so used to where I'm at already. I don't know that I could do that. I just thought, man, but what if God has that purpose for you? What if Matthew just said, I'm good. Now, what's the purpose that God might want to write for you, that new purpose available in him? I want you to think about this. Jesus, ready, gave a despised sinner an invitation to follow him. As I said, the tax collectors in the first century were hated. One of the reasons they were hated is because they ripped people off. Another reason they were hated is because they worked for Rome, and they were Jewish. Matthew was a Jewish boy, and so here he is, working for the people oppressing the Jews. These guys were hated. Often in Scripture, tax collectors and prostitutes were put together in the same sentence, right? And so here's Jesus looking at someone that most hated and said, follow me. I see something that I can do with your life that won't happen if you just sit there at your tax collector's booth, Matthew. Maybe this is you today. Matthew was the last person who expected for Jesus to give him an invitation. And maybe that's you walking into church today. I'm the last person I think Jesus would be interested in. But he longs for you to follow him. He's so powerful. He can transform your life and the course of your life. And maybe today you feel like Matthew hated. Maybe you're hated by others, but maybe you hate yourself. You hate where you are right now. And here's Jesus saying, hey, follow me. Follow me. I am so powerful, Jesus would say. Set your life on a new course. Give you purpose, because I am powerful. Verse ten. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So I love this. Matthew gets up, leaves his post, follows Jesus, and then throws a party. And Jesus is a special guest there. And I guess he put an invitation out on social media. You know, dinner at my place. Your life will be changed. Hashtag Jesus is cooking. You know, I don't know how it went, but he's all excited. And all of Matthew's sinner friends are in the room. And look what it says in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is powerful enough to take the deepest sinner and transformed their life. David Berkowitz was a murderer. He shot and murdered six people. He's been in prison since 1977. He will be in prison upstate New York the rest of his life. In 1979, he was in jail, and another inmate slit his throat. He needed 60 stitches, but he survived. About 10 years later, in 1987, David was sitting in his jail cell and he read Psalm 34, 6. Here's what it says. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. David goes on to say this. You can read this with me. When I got up, it felt as if a very heavy but invisible chain that had been around me for so many years was broken. A peace flooded over me. I did not understand what was happening, but in my heart, I just knew that my life somehow was going to be different. And David, to this day, from his jail cell, tells everyone who will listen what God has done in his life. He could do the same for you. In fact, some of you might even say, "Yeah, I'm not David Berkowitz, so I haven't done anything like he's done. A reporter went in from CBS News and interviewed David in, in recently and recently and said, hey, what would you want to say to people who are reading this? And here's what he says, tell them, with God there's always hope. If he can save someone like me, then he can save anybody. Jesus is powerful. And if you come in today saying, man, I can't imagine that he would want me, I can't imagine he would want to save and rescue me, then I hope today you're seeing the transformed life of Matthew 2,000 years ago, but you're seeing the transformed life of David Berkowitz here and now today. Jesus continues the conversation with some other people and we skip down to verse 18. It says this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. What horrible news. As a parent, I can't fathom the emotions this person is feeling. I just wonder, why is this person coming to Jesus? Like, what conversation are they about to have? Are they going to ask Jesus to do the funeral? Are they going to ask Jesus if they're going to see their child in heaven? Look at what this person says. No. I'm sorry. (laughs) Next part, next part. But come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Why would this person come and ask Jesus something seemingly so crazy? Because they knew that Jesus was powerful. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Jesus is on his way to to meet this little girl, and he's interrupted. It says in verse 20, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Again, everyone knows how powerful Jesus is. And if I could just in the middle of this here, just say to you and me, I hope that today as we talk about how weak we are and how powerful Jesus is, we will become like this woman and we will push through the crowd, so to speak, to get near Jesus. Maybe we don't have to push through a physical crowd of people, but we have to push through doubt, distraction, pride, busyness, and say whatever it takes, Jesus, if I could just get near him, I know he can make all the difference for me. Is that where you are today? Is there a hunger in you to get closer to Him? Or are there just things you've given up on in life and said it just is this way? It just is this way? It's never going to change. Fight through it. Fight through it. I'm so glad the woman that day didn't look at the crowd and go, too many people. Too many things in the way here. I'm so glad she fought through it. I would love to see the videotape on that, right? And that's what you and I are called to do now, to get near Jesus, to push through the distractions, to push through the barriers and touch Him so that he can transform the situations in our lives. Jesus turned to her and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Jesus is powerful. And there's something important we got to talk about in these verses because we see the importance of faith here, right? Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Now that's a huge deal. So we've got to approach Jesus in faith, but I don't want us to misunderstand faith. Just because we have faith doesn't mean we get everything that we want. In fact, let me say it this way. God's will supersedes our faith every time. When we don't know that and approach God with that understanding, that's where we get in trouble. God's will supersedes our faith every time. I'll give you an example. My wife, 14 months of going through all she's been going through. Guys, thousands of people are praying for her. There are churches all around Long Island praying for my wife. There are really godly people full of faith crying out to God for healing for my wife. And yet she's still not healed. And so you go, well, what's going on here then? I honestly believe God's up to something still. There's something we're still trying to figure out what He's up to. It's real frustrating, honestly. I don't get it. I wish this was over. I wish this was was all in the rearview mirror. But God's accomplishing something in the middle of this. That's what I believe with all my heart. Because there are such godly, faithful people praying. I don't believe it's a matter of faith. And as I read the Bible, I don't see God in heaven like, trying to struggle to fix a problem I see as we read through Matthew 9 here Jesus who goes like this and amazing miracles happen and so I believe with all my heart that this is a situation where for some reason I don't get it I don't know why but God's will supersedes our faith and so in this moment we go okay God please soon Lord please soon I I trust you in this and I know you're a God that heals but please soon And so don't be discouraged if you say, man, I've been praying though, Doug. I've been asking God to bring the breakthrough and it hasn't come for me, so that's why I've given up. God's will supersedes our faith every time. So we hang in there and we keep asking. We go and we approach in faith and then it's up to him to decide when and how he brings the breakthrough. But let's not forget, Jesus is on his way to meet this 12-year-old girl It says in verse 23, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, this girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. Now, everyone knew she was dead. That's why they laughed. Guys, Jesus knew that she was dead. Maybe he was trying to help them understand something. Maybe he was trying to help them understand that when Jesus is in the room, a dead person may as well just be sleeping. When Jesus is in the room, It's not an issue. It's as easy for Jesus to wake up a dead person as it is for you and I to wake up our kids. Which, if you have a teenager, is not always easy. I will give you that. But Jesus knows I have authority and power over this. And so he says, she's sleeping. Probably with a little bit of a smirk on his face. Verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all the region. Yeah, I would guess it would. Jesus raising A dead girl back from the dead. Do you need him to do the impossible in your life? What is it? What is it? What weakness are you embracing today? What powerlessness is slapping you and me maybe in the face this morning that we realize we go, wow, this is something God's going to have to do. This is something God's going to have to come through and make the difference in. Let's jump down to verse 32. While they were going out, A man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been done or seen, rather, in Israel. Jesus is so powerful, he can break off all types of oppression. Are you here today suffering depression, anxiety, a controlling habit? Do you maybe even feel literally oppressed by the enemy? Jesus is powerful. Now check this out, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Powerful, powerful stuff. But don't ever forget that the most powerful thing Jesus ever does is forgive sin. And what's huge is how He forgives sin. He doesn't just say, you know what? It's okay, I'm going to let you go. Jesus died on the cross. And Matthew, the guy whose book we're reading, the guy who is the eyewitness, the guy who would eventually give his life saying Jesus raised back from the dead, tells us he saw a risen Savior. And so we could take this to the bank. Jesus died for us and rose back from the dead and beat death. You want to talk about powerful. Jesus is powerful. Let's check out this last Verse today, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Is that you today? Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you're lost? Do you feel like your purposelessness is just creeping up on you from every side? Do you feel afraid about making the wrong decisions? Do you feel like you can't quite get yourself out of this frame of reference? And man, okay, maybe this is what the new course of my life could look like. Jesus has compassion on you and me. You shouldn't be surprised today that the bottom line, what I want to stick with you this week is three words. Jesus is powerful. And so what weakness do you need to bring to him this morning? What do you need to approach him with? Fight through the crowd, fight through the distractions, fight through the pride, fight through the fear and bring to him and say, all right, God, I need your help because I'm powerless to fix this impossible situation. I can't fix these finances, God. feels like every time I get a step ahead, it's two steps back. I, I pay off this bill, two more come. You know? I pay off that emergency room visit, we're back at the emergency room. God, help me. College loans, oh God, help me, Lord. Please, Jesus, come through on those college loans. I'm just here to say today, guys, that if Jesus can beat the grave, I think he can help us figure out how to pay off our college debts, right? I think he can help us work through these things. Physical healing, do you need that today? God heals. Jesus is powerful. Is it this course of life that you are stuck on? Don't believe that lie for a second. Jesus has and will continue to write new stories for people as they simply say yes. As they hear him, hey, let's let's get away from the tax collector's booth. Let me set you on a new course. Jesus wants to give you new purpose this morning. Why are you here what is this all about? Some of us, again, so afraid to make the wrong decision. Can I just encourage you this morning? Jesus gave Matthew purpose and direction, ready? And Matthew wasn't even looking for it. Matthew didn't wake up that morning and go, today's the day I become a follower of Jesus and I start a new life and I have purpose. No, he woke up with the same goal he had every day before, make money and rip people off. And Jesus showed up and said, come on. And, and, and the, the one thing Matthew got right in all this was he said yes to Jesus. He followed. And that's the invitation available to you and me. So are you trying to figure out purpose in your life? Are you trying to figure out why you're here or what's next or midlife, now what? Jesus, stay near him. Matthew stayed near Jesus, found his purpose. Are you here today? Powerless to break the oppression off your life. Jesus broke the oppression off that man's life. He can break the depression, the anxiety, the controlling habits, the oppressions off you and me. Today, you're seeing you are powerless to save yourself. That's why the gospel is called the good news. It's here to tell us, you don't have to, you can't, and you don't have to save yourself. Jesus has done that for you. I hope today you are feeling drawn to Jesus. I hope today you are reminded, followers of Jesus, that you have a Savior who took your cross for you. And So now, what do you need to bring to him? We need to to bring to Jesus this morning and say, okay, here's my powerless situation. Remember the prayer that we're praying in 2018 as a church, those three words, move in power, God. Move in power. Do the impossible. Let's not get frustrated if we haven't seen more of that yet. Let's not get discouraged if we haven't seen all the answers we've hoped to see yet. Because Jesus is powerful and he will move in power as we cry out to him. So what do you need to keep crying out for? What do you need to keep fighting through that crowd to see Jesus, to get near him? He'll make all the difference for you and me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust in him in just a second and begin a relationship with him, a conversation with him. But I hope today there's not one of us that will leave this place hopeless because with Jesus there is no hopeless situation. Just ask that 12-year-old dead girl. Think about this. Your, Your impossible situation might as well just be asleep. And Jesus just has to snap his fingers and wake it up. It's the amazing God that we serve. Jesus is powerful. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we get to center our lives and hearts around these truths this morning. That there is nothing too difficult for you. That there is nothing impossible for you. That the things that intimidate us, like death, like sickness, like debt, like purposelessness, like being stuck on a course in our life, the things that scare us, like standing before you one day and having to give an account. God, we thank you that you have come to be the answer for all of that. We thank you, you are powerful. And we ask that you will help us today, God, as we continue to try to take a step towards you today. I pray that every single one of us in this room, myself included, those that have been followers of Jesus their whole lives, those who are in their 70s and 80s today and have known you for 50 or 60 years, every one of us taking a step towards you the new person this morning, the young person this morning, the family, the grandfather, the grandmother, the child, God, all of us today taking a step towards you. What weakness do you need to surrender to Jesus today? Where are you powerless? Because Jesus is the answer to all of our weakness. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you bring him your needs now? And remember, his will supersedes our faith every time. And remember, he's always focused on our greatest need. So we can't ever say, Jesus isn't doing anything. He's not responding. But he is. He's probably just working on that greatest need that we might not even realize we have. So bring it down. Maybe even the prayer this morning is, God, I just give you literally access to my whole life. There's probably some needs I have I'm not even aware of. So moving power in those areas too, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would encourage you just to pray something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. I put my faith in you this morning, God, that you love me, that you died in my place, and that you beat death, raised back from the dead to save me, to rescue me, to make me yours. Show me what it looks like to follow you, Jesus.